have identified um, to be some of the verses that we hear used in the church and in culture uh, pretty regularly in a very uh, wrong way. The application is wrong. Uh, They've taken things out of context and used them in ways that they were never intended to be used. And the hope is uh, there are several things along the way that we hope to accomplish. One is obviously to set these verses in their proper context and to understand them appropriately. Um, And I hope you're not uh, shy in this. We've all done this at some point. We've looked at something in the Bible and we've pulled it out of context and used it incorrectly. And so some of these we come across may be things that you have done that with. And so um, don't be embarrassed by that. It's uh, part of the process of growing as Christians that we learn uh, how to use the Bible uh, more appropriately. Um, So... We hope to be able to set these things in their proper context and recognize uh, what um, the Bible is actually saying. But two, I hope, as I pray, that we are challenged once again to consider how uh, we are to go about studying the Scriptures. Um, There are certain um, principles that need to be applied whenever we look at anything in the Bible, and so we'll be reminding us of those things along the way. And so... um, I want to begin, though, and ask you, what do you think are some of the most misused verses in the Bible? Just, uh, you don't, you can kind of shout it out and give me uh, maybe a summary of the verse. Yeah. Philippians 4.13, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me, right? What else? Matthew 7.1, judge not, right? Okay. Lest you be judged, all right? What else? Okay, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them, right? What else? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever or whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That seems like one that is, we hear all the time. How can that possibly be misused? We'll definitely talk about that. What else? The truth shall set you free. Okay. Is that Bible? (laughs) Okay, women shall be silent in church. Are you saying it's not applied enough? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Cleanliness is next to godliness, yeah. So we'll probably have to expose a few that aren't even in the Bible, right? Yeah, there's one of those. Train up a child in the way they shall go, and they will not depart from it. That may be, that may be one that uh, you look at and say, I don't know, how's that being used wrong? Any more? Okay, yep. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, standing at the door and knocking from Revelation. God never gives you more than you can handle, right? Be still and know that I am God. I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, right? That's a good list right there. You've just made up 17 weeks of Sunday school. (laughs) So we can identify some of these, and maybe there's some of those that we even said just now, and you're thinking, well, how in the world? I... 
How is that being used wrong? Maybe I use that wrong. And so we're going to look at all of these in context and try and get to the bottom of this thing. So this morning, I want to deal with what I think, and I'm not just talking among Christians, but uh, among our culture as a whole is used uh, most inappropriately. Um, This is one that uh, people like to uh, generally recite in many different contexts, and especially when it's a person who's not a Christian speaking to someone who is. And it has uh, appeared on many uh, bodies in the form of tattoos and is commonly recited among uh, those who really have no idea what the rest of the Bible says. And this is then to me the very worst, and it's one that Rob mentioned early on, and it's Matthew 7, 1. So let's turn there in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. Someone read for us just verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, so when and how do most people use this verse? When they're guilty. When they're guilty, right. That's very common, yes. <laughs> okay, when we confront someone in their sin, they want to say, well, judge not, right? Only God can judge me. That's the other form of it. That's more of the tattoo form. Yeah, only God can judge me, right? When else do we hear it? What's that? Yeah, who's going who's gonna to throw the first stone, right? So there's reference to another uh, story in the Bible, but it's the same concept, right, that's being used? Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to chat about that a bit. Well, why don't you take the plank out of your own eye? What's implied there, though? That, yeah, nobody's perfect, right? We hear that a lot. Okay, so we have these ways that it's stated, but they're all kind of coming back to the same thing. One way that you hear it a lot, um, at least I do, is uh, whenever addressing any kind of teaching that is false, uh, is contrary to Scripture. If you take to a public forum and make any mention of something being contrary to the Bible, very quickly... Uh, the judge not hounds are on your back to want to tell you uh, that you are being judgmental. And I feel very judged by them when they tell me that. (laughs) So, as with all things that we look at in the scriptures, context is king. And in many ways, that's what this class is going to be all about. Looking at misunderstood, misapplied verses in their proper context. What difference does that make? What, is, what difference does context make? Mark? Mm-hmm. Good. Sure. Good. Excellent. Did you guys hear that, what Josh said? We could turn to Job, chapter 2, and read Job's wife saying, curse God and die. And if we take that out of context uh, and seek to apply that somehow, uh, then we're going to be more than a bit off base, right? So context is king. One of the things I tell anyone uh, that I'm teaching hermeneutics to is the three first principles of biblical interpretation are context, context, context. 
And if we don't understand context, then we might as well close our Bibles and walk away because we're going to get it all wrong. So we need to look at the context of Matthew 7.1. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What is the Sermon on the Mount, first of all? Let's begin with that. What is going on in the Sermon on the Mount? What is Jesus doing here? Okay. So he has uh, come to this mount. He's sat down and he's teaching all the crowds of people who have followed him. Okay. What's, what, is the, what is the emphasis behind his teaching? Can he? Okay, so he's giving, uh, he's, giving some, um, he's giving some instruction with regard to how it is that people who are citizens of the kingdom of God will be living their lives, okay? This is not Jesus saying, go and do this. He's saying, if you are in the kingdom of God, this is what your life will be marked by. This is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life to bring you in conformity to these things. What else is he doing in the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, good. Good. So he's getting to the heart of the law, right? So uh, everyone around was very familiar with the letter of the law, but now he wants to deal with the spirit of it to get to the reality of what God has sought all along for his people to know and to understand with regard to how the law is to be applied in our lives. Okay, what else? What's that? Yeah, there was a, it was a whole mixture of people. Uh, primarily, he's dealing with his disciples, but in the midst of that, he's rebuking those who were religious hypocrites. Um, and so they're getting a pretty strong rebuke uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount as well. Good, so that's a pretty good summary we have, what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so let's, let's read a little bit more of the context here. Someone read, again, Matthew 7, 1, but read all the way through to verse 5. Someone read that for us. Great, thank you. Now, someone else, give us a sort of a summary of what Jesus is saying here. Okay, good. So, deal with, check out your own heart, deal with the sin in your own life. But something else implied there, that we do that prior to going and talking to someone else about their sin. Some accountability measures there, right? Kenny? Good, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, and Jesus is really uh, kind of drawing out that reality there. We can be absolute hypocrites, right? And we can also address this in a very self-righteous manner. Uh, sure. But there's something big in, okay, go ahead. Okay, good. Good. So he's saying whatever measure you use to judge your neighbor, that same measure is going to be used with you. Um, so, uh, whoever, if you were in the last Sunday school class we did, uh, what is the word canon? What do we say that means? Okay, measuring rod, right? So, uh, the, the same concept. So, if we're using a measuring rod, if I have a yardstick to measure something, I need to use that same yardstick to measure the other person as I do myself. So if I'm using the scriptures and I'm going to measure what I see in someone else's life, I ought, Jesus is saying, to apply that same measurement to my own life. Tris, did you? Okay, good. Yeah, there is, a, there is implied overall in this that there is this responsibility that we have as Christians to evaluate our own lives, 
and also to evaluate the lives of others. Now, we're going to talk about how far that extends. But the idea here is that judgment always reciprocates, right? Whatever the measuring stick a person uses to measure someone else's lives will be the same measuring rod, Jesus says, that God holds up to us. So consider this. It is one thing being judged by your fellow man. It is an entirely different thing to be judged by God himself. And that in itself should give us a bit of pause when we consider our interaction with others. Have I really done what is necessary to get to the place where I am able to address sin in others? Now, given what we know about Jesus' ministry, what we know about the religious climate of his day, what do you think Jesus could have been responding to here directly? This is part of context, understanding the cultural, historical context. What could Jesus have been directly addressing here? All of the religious leaders of his day were very hypocritical, right? They were saying, do this in these ways, and we... And in fact, they went so far as to have a whole different code of ethics for themselves. It wasn't just that they said do this and we'll do something else. It's that they designed for themselves a whole different code of ethics so they could stay away from having to bear the burden that they were placing on others. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they're they're majoring on the minors, right? That was a, a big problem in their hypocrisy. They weren't willing to do it. They're majoring on the minors, and Jesus talks about this being a heavy yoke or burden that's placed on the people. This is why Jesus says, Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's talking about this burden of, uh, of the man-made law that has been placed on them that they can't possibly live up to. So, does the way Jesus addressed this issue imply that a hypocrite is in greater danger than the person he's addressing? Is the hypocrite in greater danger than the person he's addressing? I see a lot of bobblehead dolls saying yes. Why? Sure. Yeah, so now he's not dealt with sin in his own heart, and he can't appropriately deal with sin with someone else, and so it's just kind of heaped more onto that, right? What else, what else is, is he in danger of? Okay, good. So uh, the judgment of God is going to weigh on this person in a... Uh, it's not... So the hypocrite's judging someone else. It's man to man. But now we take that measure, and now God is going to judge me by that same measure. So I'm not be judging, being judged by my fellow man anymore. I'm being judged by God according to that same measure. Your, your greater judgment comes from God than it does from man. And it's reserved for the one who purposefully overlooks. And that's maybe what we need to understand in this. It's the one who purposefully overlooks his own great sin while pointing out the smaller sins of others. And so Jesus gives two commands here in this section. The first is stop judging. But there's a certain way that he's really talking about it. So we should say that the command is really stop judging others in a hypocritical fashion. That's really the key here. 
It's not don't make judgments. Everybody, everywhere, whether they want to admit it or not, makes judgments. Do I use Crest or Colgate? Do I eat Cheerios or Frosted Mini Wheats? These are simple judgments we make, right? How about parents? I don't want you hanging out with that kid. Um, I, you know, I don't want you to participate in this activity. Um, at work, I don't necessarily want to have to be working on some kind of project with that person in that cubicle over there. Um, whatever the circumstances are, we all make judgments. Sometimes they're very hypocritical. Sometimes they are while we're assuming someone's motives. Sometimes they're based on faulty information, but we make judgments. It doesn't mean they're always good, but it means we always do it. So Jesus' command in the midst of all of those is stop judging others in a hypocritical fashion. The second thing he says is this, get the sin out of your own life. And that's probably the real emphasis here, getting the sin out of your own life. So is Jesus suggesting that we have no right to make moral judgments about human behavior? No way. Or else the role of preaching would be useless. (laughs) Uh, The idea of holding one another accountable would be useless. Parenting would be useless. Being someone's uh, boss would be useless because we just rock around and say, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Just do what you want. Nobody's perfect. Is Jesus suggesting that we have no right to hold others accountable? No, of course not. And so when someone tells me to stop judging, what are they doing? Judging. (laughs) That's right. They're making a judgment, right? They're saying, you're being judgmental. I have looked at the situation, and I have judged the situation, and I have determined that you are being judgmental. What's that? Yes, (laughs) right. They're making fig leaves is what Josh said. They're seeking to hide their own guilt and shame and sin, right? So we all make judgments about people and things all day, every day. It is a necessary part of life. We have to do it. So Jesus' main point is with regard to hypocritical judgment. So let me give us a few examples of what this could look like. Say you confront someone because they're engaging in coarse, harsh conversation with someone else. And while you're dealing with them about this issue, you get a phone call and you begin engaging in gossip with a fellow Christian. What's wrong? Okay, yes, gossip is wrong. Good. Mark? Say that again. Okay, so that I've not even gone to that person. I'm just going to talk to them behind their back, right? It's just flat out hypocrisy. Yeah, good. What am, so I'm talking to someone else about the sins of the tongue, right? These things you've said are harsh and critical and all these things. I'm addressing this matter. You've said things that aren't right. They're wrong. Um, hold on, let me take this call. And now I jump into a conversation filled with gossip and slander. Same sin I'm addressing with someone else, right? It's a sin of the tongue. 
So there's great hypocrisy there. I'm, con- I'm correcting someone else's tongue without restraining my own. Lee? Sure. Yeah, I've destroyed all credibility, right? Especially that person standing there hearing everything I'm saying. As soon as I hang up the phone, they're probably going to have a blank stare. And uh, if uh, they have the courage to say, um, when you're done correcting me, let's have another conversation. <laughs> this time you listen, right? There, now, here's the, I'll get to another example here in a minute, but here's the conundrum we can find ourselves in, is that as we grow as Christians, we recognize more and more that we are as sinful as we really are. That becomes all the more apparent to us because we're learning more about God and his holiness. And so the difficulty becomes that we get to a place where we look at someone else's sin and we want to say, well, I mean, I've been there. I, I know. I've, I've been in that position um, and, you know, God brought me through that or whatever. But I, who am I to say something to them? Who am I to call that out? That's been a part of my life. Um, is that a good way to parent children? I hope we don't think that, right? There's a lot of things that I did in my life uh, that even my parents allowed me to do that I never want my children to do. And so the worst possible thing I can do is to say, well, I did that and... It all turned out okay. Um, that's, that's, not, that's not the way to go about life, and that's certainly not the way to go about life in Christian community with one another. So if I have had an issue in my life that I've worked through, a sin uh, issue that God has sanctified uh, me through, um, how then would I maybe think about addressing that person at that point? There's a way to talk about it in which we are not being hypocritical. How is that? What do you think? Yeah, good. Just being real honest with someone and saying, this has been a part of my life in the past. By God's grace, it's not anymore. And so I want to show you where God has convicted me of this in his word, and then we will walk together through this. I want to help you through this. I don't want to stand as judge over you. I want to come alongside you and be able to walk forward through it all. Right, exactly. Sure. Yeah. My, my uh, two-year-old is not going to want to touch the hot stove, right? I mean, I did it when I was younger and I'm still alive, so maybe I should just let her do it, right? That's a foolish notion. It doesn't mean it's, I'm better for it. It just means that I did it and I learned a hard lesson from it and I want to keep others from the same consequences, Rob. That's right. That's a great point, Rob. Did you guys all hear that? What's that? No, he's saying what we're doing in those circumstances when I just say, well, I did it, so someone else, you know, I'll just let someone else run that course as well. I turned out okay. We're assuming that had I not made that decision, that things, um, that things would have turned out the same. 
instead of recognizing that had I not made a certain decision, things certainly could have turned out much better. My life could have been much greater and much more fruitful and much more glorifying to God along the way. That's, that's what we're searching for, right? That's what we want, is that someone to come to a place where they recognize, I don't want this because I want to bring God the greatest glory. I don't want to walk through all these things, have a multitude of regrets piled up on top of each other, only later in life to have to look back and to deal with all of that sin and all those regrets and all that struggle, just so that I can get to this end and say, well, I got to do it. Absolutely. There's something uh, incredible to be said for godly heritage that is left. Why? Because within our homes, we're making sound biblical judgments. Okay? I can say with a certainty that um, the vast majority of us in this room right now were not raised in Christian homes. And so a lot of us come to uh, to this place as the church with a lot of baggage of past sins in our lives that we've had to deal with along the way. And so uh, God is going to do great things and is doing great things and will continue to with our church body, but where's, where's a greater hope lie in the next generation, in our children that are being raised from day one in the church and in a Christian home, hearing the gospel, being catechized, all these things that have become very, very important to us that weren't important to our parents when we were growing up. And so by God's grace, the next generation, if, uh, if he tarries, are going to be a dynamic group of Christians, should the Lord save them, that they can do great, wonderful things for his kingdom. And we should have that expectation that the Lord is going to save them and he's going to do great things through them as his church. How does all of that come about? That we're making sound judgments within our home and within our church to set the boundaries that we need to live within so that we can bring glory to God. Let me give you another example. A father is home with his teenage daughter and she's leaving the house to go out with her friends and he stops her before she leaves to tell her that the clothes she has on are immodest. He explains the importance of modesty for her good, for the good of the men around her, and that she could be glorifying God. Now, does this father have a good, valid, appropriate concern? Has he made a sound judgment? Yes. And if you have daughters, your head is shaking more vigorously than others. <laughs> Yes, of course, that is an important thing. Fathers have every right and responsibility to draw up these moral boundaries within their homes that are to be lived by and adhered to, uh, keeping within the principles of Scripture. Now, what if she changes and leaves, obeying her father, and then as soon as she's gone, dad goes into his study, gets on his computer, and begins to surf the internet for pornography? What's the problem? What's going on? Yeah, again, the double standard, right? Everything he said about modesty has just been thrown out the window. It's good enough for you, but it's not good enough for me. Whatever you're trying to accomplish in your immodest clothing is not glorifying to God. And he's right in saying that. However, is he going to apply the same measure, the same standard to his own life? 
Has he made a judgment about his daughter? Yes. Was it appropriate and right? Yes. However, while, uh, while he's done that, what has he done with his own actions? He set up a standard for his daughter that he himself is not willing to follow. He has made a hypocritical judgment, right? So, is then the answer to go to this father knowing this and say, you shouldn't have told your daughter to not go out of the house wearing those clothes. Is that the answer? No. What is the answer? Stop looking at pornography. That's the answer. (laughs) Stop being a hypocrite and get the sin out of your own life. Yes, make a sound judgment. You have to do that. It's for the good of your family, and you have that responsibility. However, if you don't get the sin out of your own life, then everyone else is going to suffer as a result. We, we can rightly say within the Christian home that the holiness of a household is not going to raise much further than the holiness of, of the father or husband that's leading, that's called to lead that household. And so if a man is behind the scenes doing these things, thinking it's all private, and yet making corrections, what kind of man is he going to be? He's going to be harsh, legal-hearted, right? Making harsh judgments about others, okay? Until one day, sadly, maybe he does the same thing, and the pictures he starts to see are his own daughter. What then? Does that change things? You see, the issue is this hypocrisy. Judgments must be made. But if we're doing it hypocritically, it's going to not be out of a desire to bring God glory. It's going to be out of a desire to make up for our own sins. If I correct others with a harsh, hard, judgmental, hypocritical heart, then in some way, I'm going to be making up for my own sins. That's how our hearts work, right? Russ, did you have something to add? Yeah. It's a great point. So I think there's two reasons why we do this, why we hypocritically judge others. One is because we're trying to, you know, because someone has done something to us and we're just trying to level the playing field, right? We're just trying to get back at them. We're trying to make ourselves seem superior morally, whatever. It's the, you know, well, I'm better than that guy kind of mentality. Think of the... Uh, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple when they're praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man over there. So that's one thing. The other is that we often come to this place when we're trying to cover our own sins. We're trying to cover up for something that is a sin in our own lives. Generally, when someone is really, really harsh in a spe- really specific area of sin, it's because that is the area of sin in their own lives that they are not dealing with appropriately. I've seen it a hundred times. If someone's really, really harsh in one area, there's a pretty good indication that they're probably not dealing with it in their own hearts. And so it becomes a cover. So we need to make sure that our judgments are in accordance with Scripture. I need to deal with my own heart. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of damage that has been brought to the reputation of the church by Christians who say one thing and do another. It's hypocrisy. It's not to say that we're ever going to be perfect. That is a true statement. Nobody is perfect. However, perfection is the standard that God sets, is it not? 
And so it's of utmost important that we live lives of consistent integrity in order to safeguard the name of Christ, to safeguard the purity of the church, because we're representatives. We are ambassadors of Christ. So the question then we have to ask is, am I grieved by my own sin? Do I grieve over my own sin to the same extent that I'm grieving over the sin of someone else? Do we as readily measure our own lives against God's word as we do with others? Have you ever been sitting and listening to a sermon and the first thought in your mind is, ah, I really, really hope that Sam is listening right now. (laughs) All the time. I think we can all identify with that exact statement, right? (laughs) We are very concerned that others hear what is being said from God's word. I really hope this person is listening to this right now. And that's not a bad thing, right? We recognize there's maybe something going on in someone's life and they need to hear something from God's word, but we've kind of skipped over the first part of that, right? How is God's word going to be applied to my life? The assumption in a statement like that or a thought like that is I've got this figured out, but so-and-so, they're really struggling here. They're really having a hard time, and they need this. So we need to measure our own lives against God's word in the same way we do with others. So are we qualified and able to identify and address sin in the lives of others? Yes, we ought, we must. How do we do it then? What what does Jesus say? How should we go about this then? Okay, so remove the plank from our own eye. What does that even look like? How do we do that? Repentance, good. Yep, so I'm going to examine my own heart before God. I'm going to ask God to reveal sin to me. And particularly if I'm going to address sin in someone else's life, I want to ask the Lord, Lord, would you reveal to me any area in my own life where if I address this, it would be so hypocritically that I might identify and repent of it. Good. Sam. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's um, Jonathan Edwards, something he, um, he wrote and that I try to read every year. It's called Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. And in that, he talks about the fact that Um, as we grow as Christians, um, there's a tendency that spiritual pride grows along with that. The danger in all of it is that we can identify it in ourselves. We need others to help us identify that. And so it's really easy to see someone else as very prideful. That guy's really full of pride. Are we willing to go to someone else and say, do you recognize, do you sense any pride in my life? Anything that needs to be repented of in that area before I'm seeking to go and deal with others. And so I want to make sure my judgments are in accordance with Scripture, that I am removing the plank from my own eye. But there's one other thing that we need to do, and that is to make sure we're not making judgments of other people in areas of Christian liberty. This was a huge deal in the Reformation era, and it was a huge deal with Jesus. Am I judging someone for something they're doing just because I don't like it, even though it's not written down in scripture. I may have something that I stay away from because I've had a sin issue with that in the past. I may have something in my life I just don't like for whatever reason. But if the Bible doesn't address it and call it sin, 
then I must not do that either. And if I am, I'm making a wrong judgment. I am in that regard being judgmental in the wrong way. And so we need to get over this mentality where we will say, well, nobody's perfect. It's a cover for sin. Because one was perfect and it was Jesus. And if we are not identifying constantly, Jesus is perfect. And I'm called to live according to the righteousness that's been given to me as a Christian. And I have been freed from the bondage of sin and the slavery that comes within it. That I can walk in the righteousness of Christ. I am freed to not have to sin. I don't have to walk in sin. And so my measure is not nobody's perfect. My measure is Christ is perfect and I live as a child of God because of the righteousness of Christ. And so then I don't give myself a pass with sin and I don't want to give others a pass either, but I want to walk alongside them uh, obediently and carefully looking to the word of God as our standard. Absolutely. And that's the whole idea behind our examining ourselves before the Lord's Supper, right? Is that we are reconciled to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Well, we're out of time. I wanted to look at a few passages where we see uh, even further command to make judgment. But I think that we uh, kind of got the picture there. So um, hopefully next time you hear this, uh, you will know where to turn and how to talk about the context of do not judge lest you be judged. Um, we, we have a little bit better idea, I hope now, of what exactly Jesus was talking about. Well, let's pray and we'll break and be back in here at 11 for worship. Father, thanks again for your word and for this time we've had this morning uh, to study your word, uh, to talk about uh, this very important reality that we have uh, to hold one another accountable within the body of Christ, but in doing so, examining our own hearts looking to the very important call in our lives uh, to rid our own hearts of sin, that we would walk obediently and faithfully according to all that you have commanded in your word. So Lord, help us to not be hypocrites. Help us to be faithful servants of the king. And as we do identify sin in our own lives, that we would be repentant and that we would faithfully walk alongside one another, not as judges who stand over one another, but as fellow pilgrims standing side by side. I pray, God, that you would help us to be more faithful to this calling as your people in your church. And we ask all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.